All right, we'll go ahead and uh, get started. We're uh, we're on chapter six on page fifty-eight in the notes. Our section today, we're looking at prayer. So, uh, before we get started, I was wanted to ask, why do you guys? What would be an answer if someone asked you, either an unbelieving friend or maybe someone you know, why do you pray? Why do you? Why do Christians pray? Why do you? In particular, why are you praying? What would you say? What would be a response to why do you pray? I mean, not like either a textbook answer or your personal answer. What would you? How would you respond to that? Well, I know I don't have the power to change anybody. Yeah. Only God has that power, so I don't. Ask them. Uh, so it's your. I'm not showing faith. Right. So you're on that. Something. You're saying um, you're admitting your your limitations, and that God and admitting to God's omnipotence or His unlimited ability. So that's one. Yeah, absolutely. What are some other reasons why you may pray or why you, uh, if someone were to ask you, direct. Personal communication with the living God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess I'd stress the personal part. Yeah, instead of communal. Absolutely, man. That's a huge one. Huge one. So you think we actually have, as Christians, the ability to talk with and have communications with uh, our our Creator? So that's it's an, it's an amazing idea. Um. You know, there's the textbook answer is we were commanded to pray. So Jesus tells, you know, we read it all throughout the New Testament. Uh, we have pictures of it in the Old Testament that we are commanded to pray. So we should be praying. What are some reasons that you guys don't pray? Or why don't Christians pray in general? The schedule seems to be so filled yeah. with other things. They're not willing to take that time. Yeah, so a time is a big one especially as our culture moves more and more, gets busier and busier, that we want to fill every minute with something. Or not even sometimes that we're looking to fill, but we have just a 100 distractions, right? We can always pull out, pull something up on the computer, watch something, pull it up on our phone, that kind of thing. So we have distractions, a busy life. So that's one reason why we wouldn't pray. What are you think of any other reasons why we, we people don't pray in general? They might not. They might have an intellectual belief that yeah it works, but no necessarily personal experience with the power of it. Yeah, that's a good one, actually. So you think, you know, there's you're thinking, you know, in your mind, yeah, pray. We should be praying, but you know, maybe they are saved late in life and there or something, or they just, you know don't see the practical value in it. Any other reasons that you can think of? Sometimes I might even call it poutiness. But I know like he says you can't I don't know how to say it exactly, but you want God to make somebody better or somebody well. And it's in his will. I mean, all you can do is hope for the best. So, I can't do it. I'm just going to pray. Yeah. 
I, I think for myself, that's one that I've struggled with. Sometimes you're, and I don't know if that's where you're going, but for myself, when, I, when you were saying that, it made me think like, sometimes you're afraid of either disappointment or just not having your prayer answered. So, or maybe that you've been disappointed with something and you just feel like, I don't know, why even bother? So sometimes that can be a deterrent to prayer. Another one that I've, uh, I've had experience, you know, personally, and I think other, I know other people struggle, and is that sin actually can keep you from prayer. You know, so some issue that you've, you've been dealing with, you think, man, I messed up, and you just feel like it pushes you away from God, which compounds the problem. So there's sin can be an issue that you're dealing with. It could be, you know, disappointment from prayer not being answered. It could be uh, a practical, I just don't see why I need to pray if God knows everything anyways and he's going to do his will anyways. Do I really need to pray because he's going he's gonna to make his will known and he's going to do his own thing anyways? So there's, you know, a couple of those reasons. Why, what do you think, and we'll, we'll flesh out this last, a couple of these we'll flesh out as we go through the lesson, but why, what do you think the idea of prayer conveys? Is there, that is, uh, when you pray, what are you actually, in effect, admitting or showing or demonstrating that Nadine kind of was hitting on this? What is one of the big things that you actually are um, kind of practically showing in your life? Our powerlessness, our being smaller than God. Yeah, yeah. Jake, you were going to... I would say dependence. Yeah. So both of those, I, yeah, I think dependence is really, uh, so our our helplessness before God and our dependence on Him. So it's it's a practical way of actually admitting the truth, because we are dependent on God, we are helpless, so by, by praying it's a way of admitting that. So we'll try to flesh out some of that stuff, we'll, we'll walk through these lessons as we think about, but think about those things as we, we, we work through this issue of prayer. So starting at the page... On page 58 at the top, it says, Few Christians, if any, would deny the importance of prayer. And I think we, if we went around the room, we went around the building, you know, all everybody would admit, intellectually at least, that it's important. So it says, Andrew Murray refers to prayer as the pulse of the spiritual life, yet most Christians must admit that their prayer lives are lacking. Few believers understand, much less practice, biblical prayer. And so, sadly, prayer is talked about much and employed little. Although volumes have been written about prayer, the Bible is always is the best teacher. And some this is something, you know, being in seminary and coming across men who are training for ministry on a regular, you know, they're training for full-time ministry, whether it's, you know, pastoral ministry, missionary work, uh, you know, teaching, at, you know, in Bible colleges or seminaries, uh, even for those guys who know that this is the direction they're taking with life, prayer is a lot of times one of the biggest struggles. So, what is prayer? A very simple definition of prayer is communication to God. God speaks to you through his word and you speak to him through prayer. So, however, the New Testament uses several different words to describe prayer. Two different words for prayer are used in these passages in Acts and Philippians. Uh, so, prayer and petition. Those are the two, um, two different words used for prayer. Prayer and petition used in these passages. Prayer is the broadest and most common term. So that's the one, the general term, any types of prayer, any kind of, as it says, personal devotions, reverence, whose focus is on God. 
Petition is a type of prayer. This is a request made to God, and it focuses focuses on God as the believer's source of help. So then we get, why should I pray? Well, this is one of the first questions we ask. Why should I pray? Why do we pray? It says, prayer is not an option for the believer. It is mandatory. And what specific command is given in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? So it tells us in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says to pray continually. Constantly pray. And in other versions, it'll say constantly pray. Always be praying. It's, it's the uh, present tense. Always praying. 1 Samuel 12.23 actually tells us, and this is a convicting one, that it's actually a sin. He says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray. So failing to pray, failing to communicate with the Lord is actually sin. and It can be sin in some cases. So it says, Sadly, many Christians have the same attitude towards prayer that they uh, do towards spinach. I actually like spinach. What a shame. <laughs> prayer is a privilege. In prayer, you have the ear of the, the God of eternity. And we were talking about that, you know, initially. Think of it. You have the glorious honor of speaking to the one who created you and saved you. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. So it's a privilege. So Hebrews 4.16. So this is this section, this particular lesson, chapter 6, there's a lot of these, um, re, you know, a lot of verses listed. So for sake of time, I'll try to read some of them as well. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So one of the things Hebrews 4.16 teaches is that we can receive mercy and find grace in prayer. James 4.8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you depending on your, your version. So, God will actually draw near to us or come near to us in response to prayer. Hebrews 5, 15 through 16 says, and a lot of you probably have a portion of this verse memorized. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So God will, in Hebrews 5, it talks about that actually God will answer prayer, for, a prayer for healing. Will actually heal, heal people in response to prayer. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Philippians tells us that we can gain peace, God's peace, through prayer. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 7. You're probably you're familiar with this verse, I'm sure. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So you have three imperatives there. Ask, seek, knock. And that eat the corresponding promise. So you ask and it'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. So it's not dependent, you know, most commentators would understand it as not three separate ideas. So it's it's three uh, complementary um, continual it's basically stressing a continual approach to prayer. 
So you're not thinking of like three different things, like ask, and then you seek, or then you knock. It's, it's three different ways of saying the same thing. So, will God hear my prayer? So this is a this is an important one. Because I think sometimes we think, you know, is God even hearing what I'm saying? Especially as an early Christian. Sometimes when you have young, if you have young kids or something, you know, you may actually have this question asked. Is God even hearing what I'm saying? Why am I praying? God is not unwilling to answer prayer. Rather, he is eager. What does God promise in Jeremiah 33, 3? He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So he's telling call to me. God wants to answer the prayers of his people. God is described in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16.9 that he is actually searching for those who are committed to him. The Lord searches for those who are committed to him. So he's actually searching out for those who are searching him. And so we want to be thinking about this. How do we answer someone who says they feel like their prayers are not being heard? Or how do you answer that yourself? When you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if God is hearing my prayers because I'm not getting any kind of answer to this prayer. So you want to be, you know, thinking that. Although God is eager to answer your prayers, you must come to him on his grounds and conditions, the grounds of prayer. God does not answer prayer because you are worthy of his attention. You are nothing that could you have nothing that you could gain your entrance into God's presence. Therefore, you come on the basis of Christ's person and works. That's really the important part of this this, section, this paragraph here. You come on the basis of Christ's person and work. He is God's holy son, and on the basis of his death on the cross for your sins, you have access to the Father. So the instructions that Jesus gives regarding prayer in John 14 and John 16 is that you ask in his name. You ask in Jesus' name. Many Christians close their prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, amen, without having any idea what the statement means. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray with his authority. In New Testament culture, the wealthy who were away from their home for an extended time would appoint a faithful servant as a personal steward. The steward would then carry on business in the name of his master, in with his master's authority. One of the things I was actually reading in preparation for this, it was actually made a good point. So we, you know, in in our Christian circles, we every prayer in Jesus' name we say at the end. But if we actually do a, if you were to do a search through the New Testament and look how the prayers in the New Testament, how many prayers actually end in Jesus' name? How many times do they end the prayer in Jesus' name by that that phrase? You would you're not going to find. You're not going to find it, you know. So why do we, why do we typically, you know, why do we feel the need every time we pray to say in Jesus' name at the very end, you know? Do we are we throwing it on there? And that's really what he's asking. So we're trying to think: why do we say that? Are we being formulaic in it? How does that convey? Uh, I was thinking about this with my son. So if I'm, if we end every prayer in Jesus' name, this is my son who's only three now. Does he, when he starts to, you know, get it? Uh, or at least pay attention, which he's not doing at this point. <laughs> what, is he just going to think, do I just have to say that? Is that something I just, a tagline I throw on at the end of a prayer? Do I just say, 
you know, I ask for something or I thank God for food and I just say, in Jesus' name, you know, am I just throwing that as a tagline or is it just a formula that I have to do? Why do I actually do that? You know, so we want to be thinking, why, why are we actually doing that? Is it, you know, what are we trying to convey there? How do you, uh, how do you exp- understand that idea? So when you pray in Jesus' name, you are in essence saying, this is the uh, top of page 60, Father, I know that I have no right to be heard by you, but I come on the basis of my relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done for me, I come to you with his authority and righteousness. I come in his name. So it's vital that you pray specifically in the name of Jesus. So there is there is a reason why we do it. Jesus tells us to pray in his name. Only those who have been born again by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus Christ can pray in Jesus' name. So we're coming in Jesus' name because it's on the, his basis, on his righteousness, you know, on his, what he has done that we're actually approaching God. We have no right to approach God, a holy God. But we have, we, we can do so boldly in Christ's name. And then you have this section talking about, some of you have maybe in Sunday schools or something, I studied this God's name out. Uh, feel free to read that. First Peter 2.9 teaches that every Christian has been made a priest by Jesus Christ. Because of our salvation, we can go directly into the presence of the Father. We don't need to go through a human priest, which, previous to Jesus Christ, there was always, you know, the Israelites always had to go through a priest. There was no direct access to God for their offerings and things like that. According to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we need only one high priest to gain entrance to the Father, and obviously that's Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5 calls Jesus the mediator between God, the Father, and men. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is your representative before the Father. You don't need another. So Jesus is the mediator. So Hebrews 7, 25 what is Jesus doing on your, your behalf at this very moment? Je- Hebrews 7.25 tells us that he always lives to intercede for them, for us. Jesus, it says he always lives to intercede for them. We want to understand what does he mean, we, he always lives. So is that all he's doing? What is that? It's kind of a weird way to say it. He always lives to intercede. You know, sometimes we say, I, uh, somebody may say, I live to watch football or I live to go fishing or I live for golf so when always he always lives to intercede for them does that mean that that's his whole purpose how we want to understand is that it's basically a way of saying he has uh, he intercedes in an unlimited fashion so he's interceding interceding on our behalf in an unlimited fashion there's no limit to his ability to intercede for us doesn't mean that he's always that's what he's doing 24-7 He's not bound by time. Just so we're thinking correctly about that phrase. Point two, the conditions of prayer. Prayer is a conditional covenant between God and his people. Read the following verses and list these conditions. So Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So, Cherishing sin, that is, you have sin in your heart that you're not, you're not giving up to God or not confessing to God. It keeps you from having a, a prayer, uh, effectual prayer life. Matthew 5 and 1 Peter 3 speak to reconciling with a person 
uh, we may have offended or sinned against. This is an important one. So he talks, uh, Matthew 5 is, is the verse, that section of the scripture where Jesus says, you know, if you have offended someone, leave your offering at the altar and leave and, and reconcile with that person. So it's important that we don't have uh, an issue with other people as we're trying to uh, pray to God because that can be a, a stumbling block. First John three twenty one. It talks to the fact of our conscience. Our hearts do not condemn us. So your heart, your conscience can be condemning you and that's something that you need to deal with before you pray to God. That can also be a hindrance. John fifteen seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this is the importance of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. First John five, fourteen through fifteen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So asking according to his revealed will. Asking according. So not asking uh, a hindrance to our prayer life is asking uh, not according to his will. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So asking in faith, the importance of asking in faith. And also how that verse ends, believing that he rewards those who seek him. So if you're asking in faith, you actually you actually believe God will listen. So this is what we were talking about in the beginning. Is God, you know, the person who intellectually says, yeah, I should pray, but... Practically, why bother? Because I don't know if God's going to hear me. This this is Hebrews 11 speaks to that. We have to believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Matthew 21 says, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done for, to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. In prayer, so undoubting faith. James one six through seven says to those who doubt, pray in doubt rather than faith, that they should not expect anything. They shouldn't expect any answer. <clears throat> any, if there's any questions on any of these or uh, anything, just feel free to stop. Luke eleven. 5 through 8 speaks to the fact of sheer persistence. It's a longer passage, so we won't read it. But the the persistence in the person who is seeking. In Matthew 18, 19 through 20, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So when pe- God's people gather together for prayer and agree on this, that they're, what they're praying on, God 
we'll, God, we can expect an answer from God. And God's people agree and pray together. And then so we want to look at what we actually should we be praying? For what should I pray? Many people feel uncomfortable praying because they don't know how to pray. If that describes you, you're not alone. What did the disciples ask Jesus? So the disciples in Luke 11, after Jesus prays, they say, teach us to pray. They want to know, how do I pray? How should we pray in a way that is pleasing to God? In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus responded with a model prayer. So this prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer, has been memorized and repeated by countless people. However, it was intended as an example of prayer, not merely a prayer to be quoted. I remember when I played high school football, and I didn't even, I was, wasn't a Christian at that time, our coach, who, I don't even think he was a believer, but we would say the Lord's Prayer before every, every game. So we'd huddle up, say the Lord's Prayer, and I never understood why we were, why we were doing it. It didn't make any sense to me. But there's just this reciting the Lord's Prayer. And as the, the notebook points out, it's actually an example of prayer, not, not merely a prayer to be quoted. I mean, it can be quoted, but that's not our primary purpose here. So we're going to break it down through these next couple sections. So our Father in Heaven. So it says, Prayer is based on a relationship with our Father. Those who have never become His children through faith in Jesus Christ have no basis on which to call upon him in prayer. So how does Jesus describe God's willingness to answer prayer in Matthew 7, 9-11? It says he desires to answer and give good, good gifts to his children. So he desires to hear our prayer. He desires to answer us and give gifts. Our relationship, our relationship to him through prayer is one of uh, you know, child and father. The first point, prayer is addressed to God. Anyone, prayer to anyone other than God, so it says Mary, saints, departed loved ones, is idolatry and is expressly forbidden in Scripture. Prayer is to be God-centered, not man-centered. And so this is obviously one of the points that we, we have uh, with Catholicism because, you know, they pray, they pray for saints, they pray for dead ones, they pray for... Uh, they pray in Mary, you know, to Mary, so that's a big issue there. The second point of the prayer, hallowed be your name. Prayer is above all else worship, so that's an important concept. So prayer is worship. It is not rushing to God with requests, but bowing before Him in reverence. Prayers throughout Scripture are saturated with praise and thanksgiving. Requests are few and always follow worship. So according to Psalm 104, how should we enter the Lord's presence? It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so the book of Psalms is your worship textbook, and uh, it's a good way to think about it. You want to learn how to worship, you study the book of Psalms. And here's some good ones, actually, if you have a chance uh, to read through. Psalm 86, 5, uh, 5, 10, and 15. So this lists a couple, and I'll, I'll list a couple of the things it talks about there. 
uh, talks about who the who God is. It says that He's forgiving and good, that He's abounding in love, that He's great and does marvelous deeds, that He alone is God. In uh, verse 15, it talks about that He is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. So recapping, forgiving and good, abounding in love. He is great and does marvelous deeds. He alone is God. He's compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. So you have the psalm and throughout the psalm, so this isn't obviously, it's five, three verses out of the psalm, but that he just keeps talking about who God is, referring to God and his character, celebrating uh, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love. Psalm 103.8. Someone mind reading Psalm 103.8. O Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So there's four right there. That God is compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And you see those repeated. Almost every one of those was repeated in the previous one, that he's compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalm 106.1 says that God is, he is good, his love endures forever. <clears throat> so Psalm 103, and I'll read a couple, I won't read, uh, so 103, Verses 3 through 5 says that who for, he's the one who forgives all your sins and he heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. So he forgives us of our sins, he heals us, he redeems us. And satisfies our desires with good things. And 10 through 14. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So he doesn't treat us, and this is a big one, you know, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us to according to our iniquities. That's one of those things, you know, you're thinking of how, what can I even say to God? You know, do, are my prayers becoming re- uh, repetitive? You know, I feel like I don't even know what to say when I pray. The point of this this lesson as we walk through these verses is these are the things you know, these are things you can be actually saying to him because they're true. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities or uh, the things that we've done. So that next session, next section, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is agreeing with God's will, not arguing for yours. 
Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus made a request to the Father of the Father. With what words did he close his prayer? He says, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. So prayer is seeking the furtherance of God's work and his kingdom. Prayer is motivated by God's glory. It's a way of saying, when you say not my will, but yours, we're looking to see God's will accomplished today in our lives, presently. And we also look forward to the ultimate completion, the ultimate fulfillment of God's will. He does not want us to uh, deny us our desires. He doesn't want to deny us our desires, but he wants to help remove the false objects of our uh, affection so that we'll have uh, the greater blessing. So we, we, when we pray according to his name, uh, ask uh, not my will but yours, what we're in effect saying is that we want to make sure our, our desires align with what God desires. That God would remove or deal with the, our affections that are off base. What is Jesus' motivation for answering a prayer according to John 14, 13? He says ultimately that he may glorify the Father. So that next section, give us today our daily bread. So prayer is dependence on God for daily provision. Daily provision. It's, it's asking God to meet your needs, not your selfish desires. When we talk about our daily bread, remember we're, we're having the picture in the Old Testament of manna. You guys remember what, we're, what manna? What do we, uh, for those of you that don't, or it looks like everyone's shaking their head, yes, we don't have to cover that. But if you remember the thing about manna is they got enough for one day, except for the day before the Sabbath. They would get enough so they didn't have to actually collect on the Sabbath. But they basically got enough for what they needed that day. They weren't supposed to keep any. They weren't going to get any, you know, extra. It was what you get, that's what you have. You have exactly what you need for the day. And so that's the picture we're having here. When we say, give us our daily bread, we're basically saying, you know, give us what we need to get us through today. It's also a picture of dependence because, you know, when God is giving them manna in the desert for that day, it forces them to be dependent on God. So it's a, it, it's a reminder of our dependence. So what promise does Scripture make us in Philippians 4.19? It says that he will meet all of our needs according to the uh, riches of his glory. All of our needs and our desires. So he knows what we want. We need he also knows what we want, but he gives us what we need. So according to James 4.3, what is one reason for an unanswered prayer? We don't receive because we're asking with wrong motives in James 4.3. We're asking with wrong motives. So that's one reason. We covered some of the other reasons, unanswered prayers. So it could be sin affecting our lives, these kind of things. But here... James speaks to wrong motives. Forgive us our debts, or that is, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who we sinned against. So prayer is dependent both upon your confession of sin and your forgiveness of others. So we covered some of this already. 
What warning does Jesus give in Matthew 6, 4, 6, 15? If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So that's one of the reasons we need to make sure we deal with that. We don't, we, uh, you know, we talk about that with this, uh, as we're getting ready to do our baptism dinner, our baptism and uh, uh, Lord's Supper. We need to make sure that we're dealing with those kind of things. If we have an issue with someone, we need to take care of it. So I can make certain, Pastor Ken will always make sure to remind us about that. James 1.13, this next section, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, keep us from anything that the enemy could use to overpower our ability to do God's will. Prayer should include requests for increased godliness. It asks not only for forgiveness of past sins, but also protection from future sins. How do we, and we want to remember that, well, with, can someone read James So we have the, Jesus praying, or giving us example. It says, "Lead us not in temptation," and then James telling us that God actually doesn't tempt anybody. So we need to make sure we understand what that means. And that's why I said He keeps us from anything that the enemy could use to overpower abilities. And that's how we want to understand that, that God. When you say "lead us not in temptation," it's not that God is actually leading us, or would lead us, or can lead us into temptation, but rather that to keep us from anything that can, the enemy could use. So what specific prayer did Jesus command in Matthew 26.41 that corresponds to the closing of his model prayer? So he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then he gives this, uh, he gives this model here. C-A-R. Some of you have heard the, the pray, P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, yield. This is confession, adoration, request. These acronyms. Just a way of keeping your uh, your thoughts clear on the, on the topic. Jesus mentions uh, several specific requests in his model pr- prayer, but the Bible has many, many more. So these following verses to discover more things we should pray. This is actually a really good list. So this is a good one to remind yourself as you're going about things that you can pray. Uh, you know, breaking up uh, as you go about your, uh, you know, prayer time or trying to figure out how do I want to pray in a concerted fashion? How do I want to organize my prayers? Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through uh, 2 is a good one. It talks of... Uh, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He says, Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. 
pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. So he's praying, praying for missionaries here. This is a, one of the things that you can be thinking about, praying for missionaries. Pray for the message of the Lord that it may spread rapidly. Colossians 4, 3 through 4, Paul tells them, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So he's actually there praying for open doors for the gospel. So that's another uh, excellent prayer. Even as you're, you know, going about your day, your, you know, your day-to-day stuff, praying for open doors for the gospel. Uh, Matthew nine, Jesus says. Then he said, "I'm sure you probably have heard this with missionaries that have maybe presented. You've heard present. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plenty, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask that the Lord the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. So praying." for workers, gospel workers, gospel laborers to carry the message. 1 Timothy 2. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayer, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So praying for our leaders, praying for those in our government, Matthew 5 speaks to the need to pray for those who persecute you. Jesus tells his his disciples, his followers, pray for those who persecute you. Hebrews 13 says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorable in every way. So pray that you will lead, lead an honorable life. James 1.5 says that we should be praying for wisdom. James 5.13, pray for when we encounter trouble. So when we have uh, come across trouble in our lives, whatever the shape it takes, our first thought, first action should be prayer. And here's two good reminders in the, in the box here about prayer pitfalls, as we said. Matthew 6 uh, Christ warns against two errors of religious hypocrites. The first error is the use of prayer as a demonstration of supposed spirituality. Um, so that's a that's a really uh, you you see that one sometimes with public prayer. You know when when you pray out with with other people. You know there's you want to be careful that you're not just trying to sound pious. You know because if you've grown up in the church. Uh, for any amount of time, or you've been, you know, maybe you were, you've been in the church since you're uh, a child, you can pray, you know exactly what to say. You don't even need to think about it. The words come out, you can make it sound really good. And so you, you really, this is one of those things. You need to be, uh, avoid that, that supposed spirituality, the fake spirituality. The second error is babbling. So, Hopefully you haven't encountered that here, where a person just goes on, repetitive. I remember when we were, when I first was a Christian, I was going to this Korean church, and some of the deacons were just like, 
they go on for like 10 minutes and they just keep repeating the same thing over and over and they're like, man, this guy. So Christ, uh, the second era of Babylon, in verse 7, Christ is describing repetitive and thoughtless phrases that are said more out of mere habit. No sincerity, no thought, they're just coming out over and over. As if you repeat it enough times that you'll get what you want. When and where can I pray? So this is a this is another practical one. Scripture teaches that you can and should pray anytime, anywhere. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.17 commands you to pray continually. And, and that pray on the go command really is possible. For God knows your secret thoughts, so you can pray silently. So, you know, you can pray with your eyes open. It's one of those things as you're dealing with your young young people or dealing with other people who don't, maybe new believers, you know, you, why you want to make sure you're, you're talking about using uh, praying in Jesus' name as a kind of phrase that you just tag tagline that you throw on the end. It's also the idea that we have to sit there, everyone has to bow their head and close their eyes. I mean, we do it out of show of reverence, but you don't have to, right? We can pray... You know, if you're praying, like, you know, you're on a road trip, you know, you're praying, you're, you don't want to be closing your eyes, obviously. There's, you know, you're praying, uh, it's just this idea of continually praying, you know. Not trying to be too formulaic about it, but just let it be spontaneous at times. Scripture commands constant prayer. It also encourages you to set aside consistent times devoted specifically to prayer. So what do you notice about Jesus' pattern in Matthew 14 and Matthew 26? And that speaks to, both of these sections speaks to the fact that Christ prayed alone when he could. So Matthew 14 is Christ, he goes in the evening, he goes away from after the long day, he goes off by himself and prays. Matthew 26, he had just getting across the boat with his disciples and, uh, you know, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he goes off by himself and prays. So he was seeking, he knew how important it was to seek that private time with God whenever he could. If it was in the evening when he could find it, that was great. If it was just stepping aside for a few minutes away from his followers, then that's when he did it. But just uh, a concerted effort to pray, uh, set aside time for uh, prayer between you and God. Or you would pray for, you know, you're praying at a specific time. What example do you see in Mark, Mark 1 and Psalm 5.3? These are the praying early in the morning. Why do, you, why, is sometimes, why do you guys think maybe praying in the early morning is a good practice? Or why do you think that is one of the ones people usually talk, to, talk about? What is it about praying in the morning? I mean, I struggle. This is when I struggle, praying in the morning, because I'm not a morning person, so... But why, why is it good practice to try to pray in the morning? So you can guide the start to your day. Yeah, so you start your day speaking with God, so it puts a good start on the day. What, what are some others, or another reason maybe, that you might think that starting your day with prayer is a good, good practice? You can get up before the kids do. Yeah, get up before the distractions, whatever they are. Before you get distracted... How easily your day, as soon as you kind of get into it, you start getting distracted, you find ways to fill it, 
even if it's whether they're good things, bad things, neutral things, your day fills up really quick with distractions. So you kind of start your day with, before the distractions hit, you get into it, you start your day you know, with God, you kind of put that good start to your day. So it's a good way to kind of set the mood for the day. Since Jesus, God's perfect Son, made consistent, fervent prayer a priority, how can you do less? So it says, The Bible says much about private prayer, times when you are alone with God and seeking His face. Yet it also stresses the necessity of public prayer, times when groups of believers gather for joint prayer. Notice the following text and their record of joint prayer among fellow Christians. You guys can read those. On your own. Oftentimes, Christians aren't hesitant about praying in front of are hesitant. So, excuse me, are hesitant about praying in front of others. Yet the Bible clearly teaches the value of joint prayer. So, you want to work at it, become comfortable through experience and practice, and attend if your church, which you know we don't really necessarily have a prayer meeting. But this is this is one of the ones I've noticed. You know, I know. Um, People in my own life, family members, they don't like to pray. You know, uh, family members, they won't even—they don't even feel comfortable praying. Like, you know, saying grace for the meal. That's, they feel that uncomfortable about praying in front of other people. This is family. So sometimes, you know, you gather together for a community group, or you gather together for a small group. Maybe it's a women's study, Bible study, you know, men's whatever breakfast, and people just feel uncomfortable. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to pray. But it's encouraging to others. It's something that we should be doing. It's not something you should feel like, you know, if I say the wrong thing, people are going to look at me weird because everybody knows what it's like. Everybody knows the stress. Everybody knows, you know, trying to get the right thing. Uh, so, you know, we have to work at that. We have to not... Because then we're, it's a matter of are you, you're, you're not doing this thing because you're afraid of what other people are thinking which becomes problematic. So it's like a, that's my challenge just to you guys is, uh, you know, work at it, be willing to do it, try to, when you can, you know, the college people sitting here, you guys work at it. So prayerlessness is essentially arrogance. It is saying, it is saying to God, I have no need of you, I can make it alone. How much better to humbly kneel before the Lord and acknowledge, Lord, I need you. Without you, I can do anything. This is what we started, Nadine pointed out. So it's, we are acknowledging our dependence on God. So that really, that's when we answer, why do we pray? Why do we pray? The number one reason is we are answering, we're admitting our, our, our dependence on God. Some of the things we want to be thinking about is this is kind of wrapping up the lesson, but what is right uh, a right prayer life, a right prayer, proper prayer affirms it affirms God's sovereignty. You know, when we pray correctly and we pray uh, in a in a way that pleases God, we actually acknowledge God's sovereignty. We acknowledge His control. We acknowledge that we're not in control. So by when you don't pray, when you don't pray. You may not be saying this, you may not be thinking it, but in effect what you're doing is you're saying, I don't need God's help with this. I got this. Okay, I don't I don't need your help with this one. So when we pray and we do it uh, consistently, we admit to God's sovereignty. 
we admit God's loving grace over our lives, that God wants to be involved, that we want to get. You know, it's one of those things as you, I, I, uh, I'm not at that point, but I remember I've talked to parents, you know, it's one of those things you're, uh, my mom, you know, 40 years old, and she says, when you were little, you used to come to me, and now you don't want to, you know, so it's like you're, when you're young, as a child, you go to your parents for everything. You ask them for stuff. You're asking for more stuff than they want to bother you. They want to give you. But as you get older, you know you don't you don't want to ask them. You're just like you do your own thing. You don't need them. And that's you know by praying, we're actually uh, affirming God's loving grace. We're saying that you know we we know that God wants to hear our prayers. We're affirming that relationship. God's love to us. We affirm God's forgiving nature. That is, God wants to forgive. So when we pray for, ask for forgiveness, we, we show that. And that God's glory is primary in our lives. So any questions on any of that or any pushback or any, uh, any comments or anything like that? So who's going to be the volunteer to empty the water? I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, well, let's close in prayer, and uh, we'll conclude the lesson. Lord, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your loving grace and mercy. Thank you for your control. And we thank you for each other and being able to be here this evening to uh, think about and look at this important topic of prayer. God, we just ask and we pray that uh, you would help us to think about this topic seriously, uh, that we would uh, commit ourselves to seeking you, to humbling ourselves before you. Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us hearts that would be uh, fervent for you. And uh, Lord, we just pray that... uh, as we go about our days, we, we would think about this. Think about the need and the command to be in constant prayer, constant communication with you. That we would uh, admit our dependence on you through this act of prayer. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.